My name is Caleb. I'm one of the uh, elders here at Redeemer. Um, I get the privilege of preaching to you today. Uh, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. We've been working our way through the book of Philippians for the past few months. We're coming close to the end here. A um, few, more, few more weeks to go. That's going to be page 982 in your Bibles, in the black Bible in front of you. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Let me start by asking this. Where do you go to be alone? Are there times when you just want to be by yourself? I know there are for me. I work in a middle school with 750 sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. It is loud and chaotic all the time. Uh, Jill knows. She's done it way longer than I have. Um, there are times when I just want to be alone. Where do you go to be alone? If you're a mother or a parent with young children, you're probably thinking, there's nowhere I can go to get alone, right? No matter where you go, there's always the pitter-patter of feet coming behind you. Not even the bathroom is a safe retreat, right? Maybe a better question to ask is, where do you go when you're trying to be alone? Maybe some of us are so busy or surrounded by people all the time, we can't even remember the last time we were actually alone by ourselves anywhere. But there is one place we all have access to and where we can retreat almost any time we want. It's our minds. One philosopher from the first century said this about the mind. The mind is the one and only domain in which people can, if they so dispose themselves, be absolutely and unconditionally free, sovereign, and unimpeded. Free, sovereign, and unimpeded in the mind. Now, I hope those words sound dangerous to you and not actually freeing. We can always be alone in our minds. We know this. No one else knows our thoughts. We can fantasize about anything, follow the rabbit trail wherever it leads, and no one will ever know, right? As Christians, how much of the battle against our flesh is decided in our minds way before it ever comes to our actions? Think about any temptation or struggle you've had in your life. Isn't it safe to say that those habits had their origin in your thought life way before they were ever put into action? If you've experienced victory over sin in some way, was that victory not a result of some kind of change in the way you were thinking? Now, that's not all that's necessary to fight and battle sin is just different thoughts, but it is absolutely essential See, church, what we think about is one of the most important things for us to think about, is it not? One massively important truth about our lives is this. We become what we behold. We've said this many times in the history of our church. We become what we behold. What we look at with our physical eyes and with the eyes of our mind will produce in us traits and characteristics consistent with that object, whatever it is. Garbage in, garbage out. 
What we think about, what we dwell on, will shape our habits, our desires, and eventually our character. Jesus put it this way, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Those are all things that we do. Where do they start? In the heart. Are you developing a habit of heavenly-mindedness? Or are you just absorbing and accepting whatever the world pushes into your mind? To put it simply, what do you think about? What do you dwell on? Today we're going to hear the Apostle Paul instruct us on how to think and observe and meditate. And this is desperately needed in our day. I need this so bad in my life. Everything around us is screaming at us to stop thinking to be distracted, to keep things light and trivial and funny. After all, who wants to be around a person who's so serious all the time, right? Talks about things like eternity and sin and righteousness and judgment and the glory of God. These are things that most people have no time for. Most Christians have no time for because we're distracted and amused by so many other things. And I am guilty of this as much as anyone else. My point today is this. Here's my proposition. To experience growth in the Christian life, we must actively pursue meditation and imitation. To experience growth in the Christian life, we must actively pursue meditation and imitation. But before we read the passage, there's one more thing that I need to touch on because this can get confusing. Paul, in this passage that we're going to look at today, he's not giving us the gospel here, okay? This passage is written to instruct Christians on how to grow and develop a Christian way of thinking. So if you're here and you have no idea what that means, to have the mind of Christ or to grow in your faith, then there's a good chance you're not a follower of Christ. And here's what you need to know. You were created by God to worship Him. But you have a problem, and it's the same problem that I have and that every person in here has. We are sinners who have rebelled against our Creator. We've chosen to worship ourselves and make ourselves kings and queens of our little universes. But God, in His divine grace, sent His Son Jesus to earth 2,000 years ago, and He, Jesus, lived a perfect life, the life that you have failed to live. Jesus was then arrested and beaten and hung up on a cross and murdered. And when He died, He paid the penalty for our sin. And now, 2,000 years later, anyone who turns from their sin and trusts in Christ's atoning death and His resurrection, because He rose from the dead, anyone who trusts in that work of Christ can have eternal life. That's the gospel. That's the good news of the Christian faith. That is central to everything that we sing and say and do here as, as as a congregation in our church. If you have not experienced the forgiveness and grace of God, this message today will only make you more of a child of hell, okay? 
Because we're going to talk a lot about how to think Christianly, how to meditate, what to think about. But the message for you today, if you are not in Christ, is not just change your thoughts and you'll be a Christian. That's not the gospel. The gospel is Christ paid the penalty for your sin, repent from your sin, and trust in His finished work. If that's you today, then this message, the rest of this message, is for you. My two points today are two commands taken right out of the passage. It's think about these things and practice these things. Those are my two points. If you're here today and you're a Christian, sometimes people get bent out of shape when they're told they need to do something, okay? It's not gospel enough, maybe. Other times, Christians, we can just start feeling guilty because we just realize all the things we're doing wrong, right? Oh, Caleb, you just gave me a whole list of things I'm supposed to be thinking about and doing. I haven't been doing any of it. Thank you for the discouragement, right? So there's a lot of potential for some of us to leave here feeling defeated and discouraged because of all the ways we fail to do what Paul's going to call us to do. But remember, church, we can't divorce this passage from what we've seen in Philippians, the rest of Philippians. What we're going to hear today is not bootstrap religion. We just try harder and God will love us. No, the gospel is is behind all of it. We must first remember that Christ is our righteousness, okay? When we see that we have failed to do these things, we look to Christ. He is our righteousness. If we are in Christ, we belong to God. If you're here today and you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You are not the person you once were. You are counted righteous. You have died with Christ in baptism. You've been raised to walk in newness of life. And our passage today is going to answer the question, what does this new life look like? How do we cultivate this life? How do we grow in our love and our faith? Right? We're already there. We're already in Christ. And what do we do? That's the purpose of this passage. And where we see ourselves falling short, and we will, we acknowledge it, we repent of sin, and we pursue Christ-likeness in that area in the strength that He supplies, okay? So, with all of that in the background, let's read our passage, Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true... Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Two points today. Think about these things and practice these things. Come straight from the text. First, let's think about these things. Another way to say this would be to dwell on these things. Paul's talking about the absolutely vital role of meditation in the life of the Christian. He's talking about focused, intentional thinking. Okay, Dwell. Sit there. Let it Let it permeate, let it ruminate in your mind. 
He's not talking about Eastern meditation, emptying our minds until we're one with the Alm or one with the universal consciousness or something like that. He's talking about filling our minds with certain truths and traits and qualities. Christian meditation is one of the most important habits we can pursue and develop in our Christian lives. Now, let me just add this. In order to meditate, you don't necessarily have to isolate yourself in a room and have everything just right. That's helpful. If you can do that, great. You know, but you don't have to have your candles lit and the newest wow worship playing softly in the background, your Bible open next to your journal and a fountain pen in hand and your cup of morning coffee with the scripture verse on it up in the corner of the desk, you know, and your Instagram photo because you got a hashtag quiet time, right? Everyone has to do that. If you can do all that and that's, and yet that's meditation, have at it, right? If you're a mom, with kids running around, probably not going to happen, right? Um, some of the best time I spend now is at work. I got my computer up and looking, reading the God's Word right there at work, praying. It's good stuff. I walk, do laps in my school, on patrol, right, in my school, um, just thinking about God's Word. You can do this anywhere because, remember, you can always go to our minds, But don't assume that because you can't get physically alone, you're not meditating. Because the fact is, your mind will be filled with thoughts from somewhere, okay? You're going, are you just going to passively allow the world to fill it? Or will you take initiative and fix your mind on what Paul is calling us to? Now, what are these things Paul's referring to? Well, it's the characteristics he just listed in verse 8. Think about these things. Well, what are they? First, things that are true. We're told to think about what is true. We all know what truth and falsehood are. Don't pretend like, I don't even really know. We know what's true. God's Word, God's character is true. He's the final standard of truth. When we're honest with ourselves, we know if what we are dwelling on is something true and honorable. We're told to think about what is honorable Other words to describe this would be dignified or noble. To think about things worthy of being honored or held up for others to admire. What would happen if your thoughts were exposed and held up for others to see? Would they elicit admiration and worthy of their attention? What about just? Are your thoughts just? This word could also mean righteous. Are your thoughts consistent with the righteous character of God? Or do you spend time dwelling on things that are self-glorifying or self-serving? Are you regularly the hero in your own thought life? I used to fantasize when I was a teenager about being a rock star. You know, I just, just dwell on this thought of being on stage and all these people screaming and playing my guitar, you know. I was the hero. I would just dwell on that as I listened to terrible 90s alternative rock. (laughs) Do your thoughts put other people down? Do you find yourself dwelling on the thoughts and shortcomings of others while ignoring your own? Are your thoughts just? Are they righteous? What about pure? Ooh, this is a tough one. Are your thoughts pure? 
This is a huge battleground in our day for men and women. In our over-sexualized culture, we become extremely desensitized to sexual images and language and especially impure thoughts. It's really easy to convince ourselves, as long as I'm not acting on these thoughts, then, I mean, it's not as bad as it could be, right? Like so-and-so who actually did whatever. But church, we've got to do battle against impurity, and the battle must start in our minds. It will be won or lost there. Lovely. Do you dwell on things that are lovely or ugly? And those are standards that are defined by God, by the way. What do you consider lovely? Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky proclaims His handiwork. God's creation is meant to evoke worship in us. Do you meditate on the beauty and glory that is all around you in the creation? What about well-written literature? What about the beauty of a newborn child? What about the glory to be found in helping someone less fortunate than you, opening your home to people in need, serving the homeless, working with the Special Olympics? These are things God considers lovely and beautiful. Do you? Are your thoughts lovely? Do you consider things that are commendable? Can you commend your thoughts to others? Would you want your son or daughter to share your thoughts? What would happen if everyone started thinking your thoughts? Are they things that you can commend to others? And last, Paul says, anything that is excellent, anything that is excellent, anything worthy of praise. Now, let's think about this phrase, worthy of praise, for a moment. How easy is it for us to notice and point out the flaws we see in other people? It's pretty easy, right? How easy is it to notice and point out the encouraging things we see in other people? Does that just happen on its own oftentimes? For most of us, unless you're Gretchen Mosier, probably not. She's a very encouraging person. For most of us, we probably have to work really hard to consider and notice and acknowledge encouraging things in other people. Paul is calling us to develop our ability to notice and meditate on anything worthy of praise. One way we can immediately put this into action in our church is to speak words of encouragement to one another. And brother, I see this in you. This is worthy of praise. Sister, I see this in you. I I saw what you did there. I saw how you handled that. I love this about your life. Thank you for being obedient. This is worthy of praise. Just one way to put it into practice. So how can we sum up all these things? How can we sum up what Paul's saying here? Don't passively receive whatever comes into your mind, okay? Take every thought captive. Pursue these virtues Pursue things that are true and just and commendable and flee from things that are false, harmful, deceitful, and impure. Don't see how close you can get 
to things that are false and impure without really, really going there, right? Flee from them. Pursue righteousness and justice, things that are worthy of praise. Make it your mission to fill your mind with glory. Are you struggling with lust and find yourself constantly tempted towards pornography or impure thoughts, whatever it is? Fix your mind on things that are pure. Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart. For what? They shall see God. Do you struggle with self-condemning thoughts that leave you discouraged and doubting your salvation? Then fill your mind with God's covenant promises. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. These are promises that God has given us. Fill your minds with them. Do you find yourself easily angered and short-tempered with people in your life, your spouse or children? Fix your mind on the forgiveness and patience that God has shown you. Psalm 103 is a great place to start. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. How far does He remove our transgressions from us? As far as the east is from the west. You see, growing in the Christian life is not just about avoiding sin. That's definitely important. But it's also about replacing that sin with something opposite and something better. That's very key. That's what Paul's talking about here. We are all worshipers and thinkers. We will be worshiping and thinking about something. So let's actively pursue godly thinking. Flee from things that are false. Replace them with things that are true. Dwell. Meditate. Let it sink in. I'm not, what I'm talking about here is not the power of positive thinking, okay? If you've read that book, it was written a couple decades ago. I'm not saying if we, that if we, if we just think happy thoughts, we'll be happy people. That's not, that's not what this is. What I'm talking about here is the essence of Christian faith. See, so, so often faith is talked about this way, especially in movies and stuff. Faith is talked about this way. Well, faith is believing in something you can't see, right? There's not really much evidence for it, but you're going to choose to believe it anyway. That's faith. Or faith is like what fills the gap between what we believe to be true and what we can see to be true, right? Faith is like that sort of empty ground there. Like, I want this to be true, but I'm not really sure, so I'm just going to have faith fill up that, the rest of that gap. That's not what faith is, church. Faith is a firm conviction. It is, you could even say, a logical deduction that we come to based on the revealed authoritative truth of God. And when we fix our minds on the truths of God, the glory of God, the goodness of God, the character of God, then we actually start to become more like Him in those ways. And our faith sinks its roots deep down into the rich soil of God and His Word and His promises. 
That is what faith is. It's rooted. It's grounded. It's not guessing. It's not just hoping something is true. It is experiencing the real, actual root, the soil of God's goodness in a very logical, real, real world, real life way. Here's what Martin Lloyd-Jones I'm struggling with the words, which is why I have a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. This is what he says about Christian faith, talking about this very idea using our minds. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, Faith, according to our Lord's teaching, is primarily thinking. And the whole trouble with a man of little faith is that he does not think. He allows circumstances to bludgeon him. That is the real difficulty in life. You see, life comes to us with a club in its hand and strikes us upon the head, and we become incapable of thought, helpless and defeated. The way to avoid that, according to our Lord, is to think. We must spend more time in studying our Lord's lessons and observation and deduction. The Bible is full of logic. We must never think of faith as something purely mystical. We do not just sit down in an armchair and expect marvelous things to happen to us. That is not Christian faith. Christian faith is essentially thinking. This is the example that he gives. Look at the birds. Think about them. Draw your deductions. Look at the grass. Look at the lilies of the field. Consider them. The trouble with most people, however, is that they will not think. Instead of doing this, they sit down and ask, what is going to happen to me today? What can I do? That is the absence of thought. It is surrender. It is defeat. The trouble with the person of little faith is that instead of controlling his own thought, his thought is being controlled by something else, and he goes around and around in circles. It's a very long quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones, but it is exactly, I think, what Paul wants us to hear this morning. That's what he's getting at with, with writing this to the Philippians. Use your minds. Consider these things. Dwell on these things. We have to get this. This is the most important truth I want to communicate today. God expects us to think, to exercise our minds for His glory. And Paul doesn't give us a list of things to think about, right? Like flowers and sunshine and rainbows and lollipops and things that make us happy. No, he gives us an evaluative tool. Here's a filter, he says. Lay this filter over your thoughts to help us be better thinkers. Is it true? No? Then throw it out. Is it pure? No? Get rid of it. Is it lovely? Is it worthy of praise? Yes? Then take it in, turn it, meditate on it, get every ounce of truth and glory out of it you can. Let it sink into your heart until it changes the way you feel and changes the things you love and changes the way you behave. Now, this bears the question very quickly, what has this kind of power in our lives? What do we think about, right? Well, here's just a short list. Number one, God's Word the Word of God. We meditate on the Word of God. Number two, the creation of God. God has given us a storehouse, an inexhaustible storehouse of beauty and glory all around us. 
Get outside. Look up. Consider the lilies. Consider the fields. Consider the stars. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. Study God's creation. And then last, anything that accords with the character of God. Consider it. Are you thankful for your spouse? Consider him. Consider her. Meditate on them. Meditate on the glory of children. Whatever it is that accords with the character of God, consider these things. My second point, very quickly, practice these things. Practice these things. This is imitation. One, meditation. Two, imitation. So not only is Paul calling us to meditate on these things, he's also calling us to action, to practice these things. Now, very quickly, here's an illustration that I thought about this morning. Between the, the, there's a link here between meditation and imitation. There abs- absolutely is. I think about my son, Ezra. He's not in here right now. Um, for a while, I mean, he loves the movie Jurassic Park. Loves it. For a while, he was really obsessed with Jurassic. It was like his thing was Jurassic Park. He wanted to be Dr. Grant. So much so that we basically had to go, we had to get him the brown pants, we had to get him the, the blue kind of you know, shirt to wear, we got him the hat, we got him the handkerchief, right? He wanted it down to, he got the glasses, I think, we got it down to like the, the raptor claw. He wanted the raptor claw that he had in, found in the desert at the beginning of the movie, right? We got him a fake raptor claw. Why? Because for weeks, it's all he thought about was this movie. I want to be like this guy, right? And what did it result in? Imitation, right? You become what you behold. It happens all the time for our kids. We don't like to think it really happens to us because we grow out of it, right? We don't grow out of it. <laughs> I still want to be Zach Morris. I still want to be Zach Morris. <laughs> That's why I married Kelly, right? Um, we, we become what we behold. We don't realize it, maybe. It's not as obvious, but it is true. So the question is, who do you imitate? Is there anyone in your life you are following? Now, certainly, we should all say Jesus, right? Imitate Jesus, absolutely. The epitome, right, of of uh, 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 the pinnacle example of us to follow. He embodies all the qualities Paul's referring to here. He is the pinnacle example of all things that are true and honorable and just and pure, worthy of praise. Look to Jesus, absolutely. But Paul's not calling them to look to Jesus here. He says, imitate me, right? Practice these things. Whatever you have heard in me, seen in me, received from me, practice these things. So who else is there in your life for you to imitate? Paul tells the Philippians to imitate him. They must have had a relationship with him established enough for him to be able to call them to that. Well, who do you know that well? Is there anyone in your life you can look to imitate? And maybe it's not as comprehensive as Paul's talking about here, right? You're probably not going to find someone who exhibits all of these qualities that are worthy of imitation um, but if you're a, 
mother or a father and you know someone who's parenting well, then find out what they're doing. Imitate them. If you've noticed someone who's really good at caring for other people or giving godly counsel or doing spiritual disciplines, then find a way to imitate them. If you want to grow in your ability to do hospitality, talk to my wife. She's incredible. If you want to care for people well and ask good questions, imitate Kyle McKay. If you want to grow in evangelism and sharing your faith, talk with David, talk with John, Mahan. These are, these are people that are they're better than most of us, right, at doing these things. Let's imitate one. This is discipleship 101 right here, right? Whatever you see in this person, you see something good in them, worthy of praise, figure out how they do it. Go do it with them. The point is this. Don't be so arrogant. And I say that, and I'm, I'm mostly thinking of me here. Don't be so arrogant to think that all you need is just you and Jesus. We need each other. This is the essence of discipleship. It says this, come with me and let's pursue God together. Let's stop comparing ourselves to one another and beating ourselves up over trivial things and let's be disciples and make disciples. This is the culture we want to develop in our church. 1 Corinthians 11.1 says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. You see these qualities in anyone? Do what they do. Insofar as they are pursuing Christ, pursue Christ with them. Last point here under my second point, which is the last point. Who is imitating you? Be imitators. Imitate somebody. But who is imitating you? Do you have children? Guess what? (laughs) They are imitating you, whether you realize it or not. The good and the bad. If you want to get to know me, spend time with my kids, especially my boys, right? If you notice any sinful tendencies, they probably got it from my wife. (laughs) Just kidding. Definitely because of me. We, We can't underestimate the power of imitation in our lives. All children learn by imitation. We know this. We see what happens when children imitate the godliness of their parents and the depravity of their parents. We see this in our world all around us. So in light of this, we need to ask ourselves this question. Is my life worthy of imitation? Now, asking this question is not meant to heap condemnation onto ourselves. We are all going to fail, right? We can all look already at ways, I'm not worthy of imitation here. But this is meant to help us take a look at our lives and acknowledge our failures and remember that we are forgiven in Christ and clothed with His righteousness. And now, because of that, we are empowered to pursue that righteousness in thought and deed. Is your life worthy of imitation? Are there areas that you struggle? Are there areas that you've just given up the fight? Then get back in the fight. Don't give up. You are a new creation. Pursue Christ-likeness because somebody is going to imitate you. Paul tells us that when we do this, the God of peace 
will be with us. Last week, David preached his passage on, with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God and the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. The peace of God will be with you if you do that. This week, the God of peace will be with us if we meditate on these things, practice these things. Now, this doesn't mean that God wasn't with you before. It just means that when we fill our minds with things that are true and honorable and just and lovely and worthy of praise, we will experience the presence and power of God in a way that we would not otherwise. Do you want emotional and spiritual stability in your life? Do you want to learn contentment in any circumstance? There's a reason Paul's going to go there in our next passage. Contentment in every circumstance. Do you want that? I do. Are you tired of being tossed around and driven back and forth by every little thing that doesn't go your way in life? Well, here it is. God's Word is clear to us today. Meditate and imitate. Dwell on these things. Behold and become. Fill your mind with the nature and character of God to develop a heavenly mindedness. And then put those things into practice. Because if we want to experience growth in the Christian life, we must actively pursue godliness with our minds. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. You, I'm just... I've marveled this week at what you have given us in your word. This instruction is so short, it's so simple, and yet so unbelievably profound and important for our daily lives. May we not neglect it, O oh God. Help us, Father, to be thinkers, to consider your ways to consider your goodness, to consider your word, your promises. May these things change us and shape us. I pray this for our children, Lord, that they would not be so distracted by all of the gadgets and lights and fun things that they are incapable of comprehending and meditating on the glory that is all around them. May we set that example for them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.